I think if someone asks me if they should mine, the answer usually is don't, just buy Bitcoin. Um, but if you have a particular advantage, like you might have access to free power, then it might make sense. Um, those things are noisy though, so don't put it in your house. Yeah, not with a six-month-old baby. No. <laughs> Maybe it would actually put them to sleep. <laughs> Drone them out, you won't have, have to listen to them cry. Bitcoin mining babies. <laughs> <laughs> Babiesminingbitcoin.com. <laughs> it's a nice, a nice video. Bitcoin and blockchain technology has captured the world's attention with its promise to fundamentally change the way that business is done across all industries. But where there is so much promise, there is an equal amount of confusion about the technology and crypto instruments. In December 2017, the Bitcoin price was at an all-time high of $19,783. The world's media went crazy, saying that Bitcoin's price had gone parabolic. And despite the warnings of savvy investors, ordinary people invested into Bitcoin without knowing the full extent of the risks involved. People took out credit cards, second mortgages, and personal loans to get into the cryptocurrency gold rush. But just a few short months later, over $600 billion was wiped off the value of cryptocurrencies and the large majority of people lost everything. But some investors became millionaires literally overnight and in the process became financially free for the rest of their lives. But are cryptocurrencies the answer to financial independence for a few or for many? To get the answer, we have launched a new series called Crypto Kung Fu, which will take an investigative look at the current news, risks and opportunities in the cryptocurrency space and give you access to the world's leading crypto experts right here on the MapRound Show. Listen closely to our $1,000 trading challenge, where we will ask these experts to trade with our money to prove whether the world of crypto, like Bitcoin, really do live up to the hype. Oh, and if you'd like to join the conversation, you can reach me at MattBrownZA on Twitter and Instagram, or search for The Matt Brown Show on Facebook and YouTube. Hey guys, so in this episode number six, uh, I have today with me Warren Gray in the studio. Warren, uh, we spoke about all things Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining. Um, what stood out for you today in terms of this episode that guys should look out for? Sort of some of the technical stuff around uh, mining, what it actually looks like under the hood. Um, you know, a lot of people have heard about it, um, but they don't really realize what it specifically does, what it looks like, how much energy it uses, and what it's there for. So we've actually got uh, two mining Bitcoin miners here in the studio. We've got uh, an altcoin mine and then a bit pure play Bitcoin story over here. So if you guys are listening to this, go to YouTube and check out this thing that I'm holding in my hand. Uh, it's pretty insane what, uh, what the tech is doing these days. Um, very quickly, Iran and mining. What's this thing there? I guess uh, the, the Iranian government seems to be incentivized uh, from two perspectives that are not necessarily compatible. Uh, on the one hand, they subsidize power, and so naturally market forces mean that a lot of people are going to go there and uh, run Bitcoin mines. And on the other hand, they're often uh, sort of subject to sanctions, international sanctions. Um, and in that case, it kind of makes sense for them to mine. So my suspicion is that the state wants to mine. They don't want individuals to be using subsidized power to do it. Great stuff. And we're going to cover that and much, much more, guys. So please enjoy this episode of Crypto Kung Fu. And we're live. Hey, guys, welcome to episode six. That is six, not five, as I was previously misinstructed. Um, <laughs> but today I'm going to talk to you guys about with this here expert all about uh, crypto mining. Wow, 
What a subject. Warren Gray. Uh, Warren Gray uh, from Block Starters, the incubator here all around blockchain uh, startups, but more importantly, a Bitcoin miner. Welcome to the show, dude. Ring oh. that bell. Good to be here. He's a natural. Thanks for, the, thanks for the effects. I really appreciate that. Well done. You guys are getting so good on the effects. Eh? Amazing. So, Warren, uh, great to have you on the show, bud. Yeah, great to be here. So, um, obviously... You're not only doing Bitcoin mining and uh, block starters, but uh, what's the headline here? What does our viewers and listeners around the world need to know? Yeah, I guess I'm involved in a bunch of stuff in the Bitcoin crypto space. Um, one of them is teaching. So I uh, take quite a bit of time to teach uh, mainly in high schools. So we've gone up to Kenya. We're oh, really? kind of teaching the next generation because I think as much as, you know, for my generation, the internet was the thing to be mm. into and it was new and people were skeptical and the same arguments were playing out. So it's the, the guys in high school now that are, I think, going to really benefit from the crypto landscape. Yeah, it is cool. What What is the reaction of, um, you know, youngsters today when they, I mean, they must be all like all crypto. Yeah, evangelists. Well, evangelists, thank you. <laughs> I think uh, they have a lot less to unlearn compared to the finance mm. professionals we teach. <laughs> um, and they also kind of grew up as digital natives. So yeah. they... Uh, for them, the concepts around money are far more um, sort of in tune with what they're used to because mm. they're used to Fortnite credits and spending uh, tokens online and loot boxes and these kinds of things. So cryptocurrency actually makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, I suppose it, um, it's only a matter of time when that's the only thing they'll want to use. Yeah, We talk a lot about adoption and it's kind of like, well, when, when the tech will be ready and it's actually, well, when is the consumer attitude at a point where they won't accept anything else. Yeah. I think, you know, the adoption curve um, with crypto, I think it's going to be a store of value first. And that security, which is what mining's all about, is securing the network. That needs to be there before we can uh, really use it in the mainstream. So I think we've still got a while to go. It's uh, mm. maybe even a 50-year project. Um, but yeah, definitely take a long-term view on it. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll get there in the end, right? Um, so... You touched on it a little bit, but we're going to talk a lot about Bitcoin mining today. So please can you give us, for those of our viewers and listeners out there who are like, what the hell is a Bitcoin miner? I only know about Bitcoin. Uh, give us the 101 fundamentals. What is Bitcoin mining all about? Why does it exist? What does it do? How does it work? What is the implication for you know investors? So I guess the short answer with uh, Bitcoin mining is that it converts electricity into money. That's uh, maybe the investor's interest. What? <laughs> Can we yeah. get a what sound effect there? Uh, the, the more technical version is that um, in order to create a distributed banking system, because obviously when you send a Bitcoin transaction or, any, or many cryptocurrency transactions um, to uh, someone else, it doesn't go through a central uh, third party, uh, which means that someone has to process that. Now, of course, you don't want to have to trust that person. You want game theory to dictate that they act honestly. And that's where mining comes in. It is essentially an artificial cost that is built into the software um, that gives people the privilege to add transactions to the blockchain. And when they do that, they get rewarded. Um, so you're essentially paid to process transactions instead of the bank being paid to process transactions. And because it's distributed, anyone in the world can do it. They don't need to ask permission, but they do have to put some capital down and they do have to pay for energy. And what that means is it is quite costly to mine Bitcoins. 
and process transactions and be rewarded for it. But that also means that your incentives are aligned such that you don't cheat on the network um, because we don't have a trusted third party being a bank. You know, a bank, if they cheat, they get in trouble. Someone will find it easily. Um, a miner out there could put a transaction into, into the blockchain. Um, they could double spend. It could be a fake transaction. They could add uh, Bitcoin to their wallet. Um, but of course, uh, no one will accept that and uh, their block will be rejected. And it takes a huge amount of energy and um, um, capital and you ultimately make more money by acting honestly than by acting dishonestly. Hmm. Yeah, speaking of the electric- electricity cost, we're going to have a look at what it looks like inside China's largest Bitcoin mine. And uh, it's a documentary which you can actually get on YouTube. I'll tell you more about it in a second, guys. But um, but their electricity bill is a million dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Is that what yours is? How much is yours now? Uh <laughs> it's hard to say, actually. It's hard to say because I don't want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're making money, bro. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just spending it all on energy. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Aldo. How is Aldo doing? Um, so I'm not actually at Aldo. Oh, you're not? Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, really? Are you not part of that? Uh, yeah, I was never part of that business. You're but, part of uh, the money the money crew, basically. Maybe they're the, the crypto crew, cats. We're going to talk about crypto cats later. Okay, cool. We're going to get more into mining. We've actually got in the studio, if you guys are listening on the podcast, we've actually got, well, you explain what we've got here. I don't even know what, how to describe this stuff. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Okay, so the hardware here. Okay. Yeah, so the one uh, on my right is not actually a Bitcoin miner. Okay. This, this is used to mine these days other cryptocurrencies. Uh, the one down there, that is a Bitcoin miner. And it might be worth sort of, I don't know how technical you want to go, but I can give a bit of a brief history. Yeah, let's go. Let's Bitcoin go before mining. we get into the news. So um, originally when Satoshi launched the white paper, um, the Bitcoin white paper, which basically explained a nine-page document explaining how to make Bitcoin and then later launched the code that um, was the first uh, version of the Bitcoin code. And that's the same code that's been built on today and is run on nodes all around the world. Uh, when that was introduced, uh, this idea of proof of work, which is what mining is, mm. was introduced as a way to secure the network and ensure that people who process transactions are honest. So initially you could mine, i.e. you had to run a kind of mathematical puzzle um, you can think of it as a Sudoku puzzle that gets exponentially more difficult as you earn rows and columns, but it's always very easy to check. Um, so you run a kind of a puzzle, and if you find it, you kind of get the right to add the block to the blockchain, add transactions to that. That's how transactions happen in Bitcoin. Um, of course, the first person to mind was Satoshi, whether that's a man, woman, group of people, AI from the future, who knows, mm. right? Um, so 
initially you could mine on a laptop, which is just a general purpose computer. Um, but then people started to work out, you, you were using your CPU on a laptop to mine, that you could use something like this, which is a graphics card, which can parallelize that problem solving, and therefore you get more efficiency. So you get CPUs are incredibly good at doing everything. Um, GPUs, like that graphics processing unit there, so your PlayStation will have one inside, are very good at doing a few things, but they're much better at it. Like so graphics rendering, exactly, as an yeah. example. And that's a parallelizable process, so you can split it and run it on multiple threads. Uh-huh. So, I use, uh, so, so forgive my ignorance, because I really don't know about the technical hardware stuff at all. Are you saying that on uh, alongside your CPU, you can stack multiple GPUs to mine a blockchain or a block? Yeah, so any proof-of-work blockchain, um, provided those things haven't been invented yet, which I'll get to in a minute, yep. um, for those kinds of coins... Um, such as Ethereum, uh, which specifically wants you to mine on these things because it keeps it a bit more decentralized. And we can go into that politics later if you'd okay. like. Yep. Um, but you can essentially stack six or however many of these um, GPUs onto your machine. And they're really the thing that solve that problem um, that I discussed earlier. Mm. Um, so there was an era in mining where it went from people mining 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes on a laptop. And you can imagine how how kind of uh, how much money that is now. Yeah. Um, and then when more people compete, it gets harder and harder, so you need to be more competitive. And then people started building GP rigs, and they had a... Advantage. You want to move the thing closer? Okay. As long as you help? don't lose uh, Warren's <laughs> beautiful face here. Okay. Still, still see me, cool. Uh, so um, it looks ridiculous, dude. So this is actually... Like it's complicatedly ridiculous. Uh, this is actually just a general computer. I mean, I'm sure you probably built computers, or, or was that just me being a bit of I've a geek? I've replaced fans. That's about okay. it. So if you open up a desktop, all the same components are inside. You have a power supply, you have a graphics card, you have a motherboard, CPU. And yeah, that's what's inside your computer. You know, nowadays, you asked about teaching in high schools. We actually build these with the kids. Really? And what's interesting is they are not exposed to what's inside a computer at all, because now we have consumer electronics. You know, you look at your phone, and yeah. it's not meant to ever be opened. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's nice for them to learn about it. And, um, but this, these are just exactly the same components that are inside your desktop computer. Uh, we just need to put lots of graphics cards on. So there was an era kind of up until, I think, 2014, where these were used. It was actually quite a short-lived era where these had an advantage. Um, and then some people started to figure out that you could basically build a chip that could do nothing else. So at least this can process graphics, right? Yeah. But that thing is called an ASIC, and that stands for Application-Specific Integrated Circuits. Mm -hmm. It cannot do anything else except for solve the problem to mine Bitcoin. So it's a bit like a pocket calculator. It can only do simple pocket calculations, but it's incredibly efficient at it. Mm. So you can imagine how long your battery on your phone lasts compared to your pocket calculator. You know, the one I had in high school is probably still on its first battery. Yeah. And they're incredibly efficient, which means the amount of power going into mining it is, is very low relative to the output. And one of those is orders of magnitude more efficient and faster than one of these. Um, so all of Bitcoin mining happens on ASICs nowadays. You basically can't mine on this. Well, you could, but it would you be wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah, you spend a thousand. So this is times. for everything else other than Bitcoin, in just theory, about, just to about, group yeah. things simply, simplistically yeah. as one can, without mm. getting you know technical nuance sure. and stuff for today. Um, and then that's for pure play Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like a beast. This thing. Yeah, it's designed to do one thing. So there's these powerful, incredibly noisy fans, and if you play that documentary of the the Bitcoin mine, you'll hear it. Yeah, uh, incredibly noisy, high Let's velocity fans. Let's actually do that now. Let's and they just um, throw air through those chips. 
keeping it cool. Have a, have a listen to to the sound of a Bitcoin mine in China. Let me just do this quickly. Hold on, check it out. And that's the voice of the guy who's giving the tour. But it's ridiculous, dude. Yeah. Have you ever measured inside a farm? No, but I know if you don't have hearing protection on for a few minutes, you're going to start hearing it in your sleep. So <laughs> it's probably best to. But I mean, look at all this cabling. It's insane. Oh, is this the actual units? Yeah, you can see exactly. So this they've is got a bit of an old documentary, and I think that person probably is retired by now. Um, I mean, they're mining. I think they're mining hundreds of Bitcoin a day in that farm. Um, but uh, those are sort of the predecessor ASICs to the one that's on the table today. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay, so this is the new version here. There's actually a newer version, which is, uh, I think you'll get onto a chat maybe in the news about the hash rate increasing, and that has to do with the new version. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. It's basically, how many would you say of these units are in this farm, would you reckon? Um, probably a thousand or so. A thousand Bitcoin, what do you call these things? Bitcoin mine? Yeah, mines. you can call it a Bitcoin miner. Really? Yeah. yeah. Or a rig. A rig, mining Bitcoin rig. mining rig, yeah. It's crazy, and they've got a full IT team. Mm-hmm. It's nuts, dude. It's really crazy, eh? Yeah. And then they've got those extraction fans running in the back to stop overheating and stuff. Yeah, cooling's a big Cooling's big a big thing. It's not a small thing, I suppose, if you want to be serious about it now. It's, uh, it's not a simple thing. It's just plug and play, right? I mean, it, the, the kind of serious guys aren't just plugging in one. They're kind of getting quite serious about you yeah, know, think- the scale. I think if someone asks me if they should mine, the answer usually is don't, just buy Bitcoin. Um, but if you have a particular advantage, like you might have access to free power, then it might make sense. Mm. Um, those things are noisy, though, so don't put it in your house. Yeah, not with a six-month-old baby. No. Maybe it would actually put them to sleep. <laughs> Drone them out, you, something. Won't to, you won't have to listen to them cry. Bitcoin mining babies. <laughs> <laughs> Babiesminingbitcoin.com It's a nice, a nice heater. Thank you. Thank you, Q-Dog. <laughs> Should register that domain. Just let the psh go next time. Yeah, thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Let's move on to our $1,000 trading challenge update. Voice of reason. What's happened uh, since our last episode? The voice of reason. Okay, so since our last trade, we bought $50 of Mindel. And we are up $1.58. <laughs> well done. And what was the other spread? $50 of Mindel and what was the other one? $50 of Hashgraph. Hashgraph. But there's just so many things here (laughs) that I don't even know. Oh, there is. Oh, there's Dash. Can't see Hash. It's the last time I'm asking for an update. (laughs) It's the last time. IT guy, how much? Okay, tell you what. How much money have we made? Because it's gone, we've made $150 in a day, basically. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that was a trade from Fluff Pony, oh, Ricardo cool. from yeah, uh, from Monero. I'm sure you know. Yeah, he's a veteran of the crypto scene. Yeah, not only locally, but internationally. The world, yeah. yeah, totally. No, so he was. Uh, he told us to hold Bitcoin and then spread the other hundred on on those two altcoins. Anyway. Good advice. Yeah. So we made some money. Thank you so much, Fluff Pony. That's amazing. Hi there, guys. So Crypto Kung Fu is proudly sponsored by Prime Health and ZA Nootropics. If you're listening to me right now, I know that you, like me, want to get the most out of your day. 
So whether you're an entrepreneur, a crypto investor, business leader, or simply a regular guy or gal like me trying to build something of value for yourself, you need what I have, and that is a customized mix of premium, high-performance, smart supplements and adaptogens from Prime Health. This stuff is the bomb. So these products have helped me to make every day a success and help, have helped me improve my brain health, cognition, and overall stress management. ZA Nootropics are ready to help you too. So simply head on over to zanootropics.co.za and browse the online store of amazing smart supplements. And I highly recommend the Lion's Mane Mushroom. It will blow your mind. But whatever you buy, enter the code NINJA20 at checkout and you'll receive a 20% discount on your order. I cannot recommend these guys highly enough. So go there now. That's zanootropics.co.za. But now it's time for the news. Tonight on Crypto Hard Talk. <laughs> Crypto news, dude. So basically, uh, the team have gone out and found some mining related news for obvious reasons. And this one came up. Uh, headline is Iranian government proposals proposes annual license for bitcoin and crypto miners what do you feel about that or how do you feel about that yeah i think the news out of iran has been interesting they have highly subsidized power um so on the one hand uh there's a huge incentive for people to go out and mine there um in fact even on older hardware it's uh it's somewhat profitable but they also i think have a limit of the amount of power that they have available and on the, on the other hand, they're being sanctioned, and this has been sort of a perpetual story of, mm. of Iran. And they mm. also realized that Bitcoin is potentially a way, as I said earlier, turn electricity into money. So if you're being sanctioned, it kind of makes sense to mine. Yeah. Um, so I think they're kind of leaning towards a state-owned mining enterprise, and it's, sure. I think a few governments are trying to do this in secret. Um, but yeah, it's, it's those two tensions. Is mining, it doesn't really bring a huge amount of work to an economy. It's a globe, you're globally compatible contributing to the security of the Bitcoin blockchain. It doesn't help your local economy, aside from the fact that uh, you're selling power, which can be good or bad, depending on the situation of your country's power, which is obviously a consideration we have to think about in South Africa. That's a very interesting position, hey, or thoughts. Mm -hmm. A state-owned mining enterprise, mm -hmm. traditionally or historically um, sanctioned by Western powers like the US, mm -hmm. and with an impending financial system collapse mm -hmm. again, uh, if they were mining, you know what I'm saying? Like, and basically what I understand, and also, as you say, the cheap electricity, yeah. right? Uh, what kind of economic position it would put itself in, yeah. in this space? Yeah, I think it's a similar debate that's being had around mineral rights. It's no real difference. The government gets involved in, in mineral rights gold. Mm. Um, so I think Bitcoin's the new gold and mining is, is what makes it scarce like gold. And tell me, why is the electricity cheaper there than say another like i don't know like switzerland i think it's because they subsidize it so in order for the population it might be a similar model to saudi i'm just speculating here where yeah, you have sure. massive um uh, returns from oil um and being associated with that and then you uh you can subsidize the population um in a number of ways because there's so much excess um, I'm not really sure about the, the Iranian situation, but I do know they have cheap power, and I believe it's because it's subsidized. It's the same as Venezuela, where a lot of people were mining to survive because they were given free power. 
Um, so they used that to mine Bitcoin and buy food and import it from Miami. <laughs> That's hilarious. So the Iranian mining license would only apply to miners with equipment that requires 30 kilowatts, which might exclude homemade mining equipment or small operations. So basically they're trying to regulate the big boys, the bigger boys, I should say. Yeah, for context, 30 kilowatts is about uh, 20 of those little boxes. Of the Bitcoin so mine? As soon as you go past 20 of those little boxes, you need a license with them. 30 kilowatts. What is that in sort of traditional household power? Uh, 30 kilowatts um, is a fair bit more than your house will use at yeah, any given sure. moment. But um, a kettle is usually two and a half kilowatts when it's boiling water. So hmm. you can think of it as probably 12 or 13 kettles on at the same time. That's quite high. I thought kettles would be much lower than that, considering that's mining Bitcoin and a kettle's boiling water. Yeah, it's converting electricity into heat, so it does use quite a lot of power to heat water. Shows what I know. Uh, Right, this one was interesting. Authorities order Inner Mongolia to end crypto mining support. So this came up, I think, if it's the same story, uh, was that in Mongolia, obviously China hasn't, technically banned it but it's not really you know you can still trade it and whatever but you can't be mining and doing anything like that so what they've done is they've set up these mines in mongolia yep um to to do the, what they need to do and um and china's trying to clamp down on them that's what i understand yeah it's a, a pretty much the same sort of incentives where mongolia subsidizes their power it's a kind of social good for people and market forces react Again, you can convert electricity into money. If you're doing it where it's subsidized, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, Bitmain, who probably run the most mining rigs in the world, they make that device. Um, and they, uh, they are big mining farms are in Mongolia. So for us, it's interesting because we're globally competing. Mm. And when these places get shut down, it's actually quite good for us. And it also means there's more distribution of it around the world. Mm. You don't really want all the mining farms to be in China <laughs> because potentially the Chinese government could make a big effort to seize them one day. That's problematic for the security and uh, sovereignty of Bitcoin. Mm. So you actually do want them to be distributed all throughout the world. And every time there's an Iran clampdown or Mongolia clampdown, it's actually pretty good for Bitcoin because it makes it more distributed. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this particular um, article, it goes on to say that in in Mongolia's municipal level governments in recent years have looked to cryptocurrency mining as an opportunity to transform its less developed economy. It's interesting that as an idea that a, a a crypto mining strategy for a less developed economy could actually transform that economy in the long term, as you say. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, they, they're really just providing security for the global Bitcoin ledger. Um, so as much as I think mining is incredibly important, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin. I think it's going to be very good for the world. But there is this little bit of a disconnect where it isn't directly beneficial to your economy aside from selling power. So a lot of the mines now are actually in Canada, um, where there's excess hydropower. Um, it's actually very good for renewables, and there's a lot of massive hydro plants in Siberia, really? where the sort of Soviet government in the 70s thought they'd have this massive growing Soviet empire. Turned out not to happen. So you have huge excesses of energy in these hydro plants that have been built. There's no industry there. Um, sometimes 80% of that hydro plant is not being used. Um, and hmm. again, you can use that power... Um, and convert it into, into money, which I guess if it's used in the economy is, uh, would be pretty good for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to this one, crypto mining firm Argo Blockchain installs a thousand new rigs. I don't know if this is actually news. Is a thousand rigs a big deal? It is a fair, it's a fair amount. Um, 
It's uh, so they've got six thousand machines in total. Mm. That's a decent size operation. It's not the biggest, but uh, uh, sorry, fifteen thousand. So the London listed firm, which trades under ARB ticker, has an agreement in place that boosts available electricity supply by three hundred fifty percent, fifty odd percent, sufficient to power a total of fifteen thousand rigs. Is that big? Yeah, that's a pretty big operation. How many do you have? Um, probably like about five hundred or so. Okay. Yeah. So that is pretty pretty big. And is it competitive though? I mean, from a South African specific perspective, I mean, our, co- our electricity is not exactly cheap. So that's where it's quite interesting in South Africa. We have some opportunities. And again, we have to be globally competitive because the way the profitability works, it's a lot like uh, drilling for oil. Um, you're going to have the lowest cost of production guys, maybe Saudi Arabia, where it's very cheap for them to produce. They'll always be able to produce oil, pump oil, even if the, the fuel price goes down. Um in South Africa, we have a number of advantages that <coughs> make us, us competitive. So one of them is that we have a premium on our exchange. Um, so you'll probably notice on Luno or Vela or any of the oh, exchanges yes. in South Africa, there's usually about a 3 to 5% premium. That means when we pay our energy bill, we have to sell 3 or 5% less Bitcoin to equate to the same amount. Mm. Um, so we, we can have power that's perhaps 5% uh, more expensive anywhere else in the world, and we're equally competitive. So the power, what you pay for power at your house is quite high and it's globally becoming um, in line with even first world countries' averages. Um, but the problem in South Africa is not one of generation. It's, uh, it's one of transmission and politics and, and distribution. So where we try and mine most, and again, that thing that converts electricity into money can be moved anywhere. And that's important because you can't move an aluminum smelter to a hydro plant necessarily because it needs to be close to a port. You need to have access. You know, there's all kinds of other considerations. You've thought about that, haven't you? <laughs> I'd rather run the Bitcoin mine than the aluminum smelter. Yeah, look, what we're going to do is we're going to take our <laughs> aluminum power plant, move it over to there. Get, get, <laughs> get a few trucks and load it up. Um, so the whole thing is we have stranded power in South Africa, which is power that uh, cannot actually be sold onto the grid for Various reasons. So, ironically, we have load shedding on the one end, mm-hmm. and then we have stranded power on the other end. Um, so, you know, there's a number of hydro facilities in South Africa that are unable to sell, small hydro plants that are unable to sell their power to the grid. Uh, there are, at night in the Eastern Cape, a huge amount of wind power, gigawatts of wind power. I mean, that's a huge, you could run all the miners in South Africa on that, um, are shed because there's no way to store that power and there's no demand for it at night. Um, there's excess solar power. A lot of times big power producers haven't necessarily got a license or there's a municipality that isn't paying the power producer and so they shut their site down. So what we can do is we can show up at the sites and usually you're met with a bit of skepticism because it might be you know, some farmers that um, run a small hydro plant. They're very skeptical about Bitcoin, but they love the fact that we will prepay for their power um, and we'll literally buy it in bulk off them up front and we'll use it to mine giving away your trade secrets here, pal. <laughs> um, that's cool. Um, I want to come back to that in a second. I was going to conclude the news here. Uh, Bitcoin, this one is from Coindesk. Bit- Bitcoin mining power hits new high as half a million new ASICs go online. That's this thing. Yeah. Right? Uh, half a million. Yeah, it's huge. I Holy. Mean, I think the Bitcoin mining network uses, the last statistic I saw was about as much power as Switzerland. Uh, yeah, that's and that was a while ago. I yeah. think it's increased quite a bit since then. Mm. That's what I, that's what I wanted to ask you um, was around the, the environmental impact of all these mines because uh, this came up like eighteen months ago. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, like half a million of these things. If you said you said 
how, 30 kilowatts would run how many of these? 20. Yeah. Roughly. So if you do the math, let's do the math. Do you want to do the math? Go for it. Yeah. Let's do it. So you're the, you're the brains of the operation. Tell me what I'm doing here. So 600,000 machines, right, times by 30 kilowatts. You got 60,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. See, times by 30 is 18 million kilowatts. But that was for 20 or so machines. So maybe uh, divide by 20 and then you're... It's about, yeah, a million. How many is that in total, roughly, kilowatts? It's a million. Fuck. Approximately, yeah. A million kilowatts. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of... Uh, a million kilowatts in one mine. What is that? What is the environmental well, impact of something like that? I mean, is it all just you know uh, power related, or is there other types of environmental impacts outside of just source um, of electricity? Yeah, actually, I think we might have done that call slightly wrong. I'll have to Did look we? at it again later, but because uh, yeah, a million kilowatts is not actually that much, uh, isn't it? But uh, no, it's one megawatt, which is not not too much. But I'll, I'll talk a bit about the. Um, about the environmental side of it. Maybe we can yeah. come back and look Let's at that. Let's go. Let's do it. So, you know, I think my background is actually as a environmental and green buildings engineer. So really? solar power and all of that was quite central to what I did. Um, you know, solar panels on my house, all those kind of things. And uh, it's it's something I've always been, that's been quite important for me. Um, so my view is that if you look at the system that Bitcoin is trying to replace... It's basically two systems. One is gold mining. And gold mining uses a lot more energy than Bitcoin. Granted, it's being used a lot more in the financial sector as a store of value. But new technologies uh, don't scale well. So, you know, you look at the first electric cars and all the articles about how a Prius uses more energy to make than a Hummer and all of this. But in the long term, we actually want, uh, we actually want to have a more electrified economy in that case. And... The initial move we need to make is to provide all that security to to the Bitcoin network so that it can scale later. Um, you know, if you look at early articles about the internet, mm. to set up an email server would take you a week. Um, you don't you have no one to send an email to, and if you actually looked at the amount of energy it took to send an email, uh, people would say that uh, you should rather just use the postal service. It's way more efficient than sending an email. But of course, once that technology is distributed in everyone's hands. Once the base layer of the Bitcoin mining network is there, we can start to build things on top of it, just like we built things on top of the internet. Mm. And you know, when you walk through in the middle of Sandton and you think of all the buildings in glass and people wearing suits in air-conditioned buildings, um, driving to work, flying around, Bitcoin will be way, way, way more efficient per transaction and per banking service offered than this current system, which has achieved sort of the limits, in my view, of, of where it can go scale-wise. Uh, so, yeah, right now it's it's quite easy to see an article or to write an article that says Bitcoin uses more energy than country X. I mean, if you were to spin that, you could also say Bitcoin uses more renewable energy than country X because most of the Bitcoin mining is moving to renewable sites because they're getting kicked out of Iran and because they're getting uh, you know kicked out of Mongolia. And then they go to hydropower, they go to excess wind power, they go to excess solar power. Those sources of power are becoming cheaper and cheaper. And unlike the aluminium mine, you can't move it. Mm. Unlike the office building for the bank, you can't move it. So you can move to the cheapest form of power. And the cheapest form of power is renewable in the world right now. Mm. It's hydro. It's, it's all the excess power that can't be used elsewhere. So Bitcoin mining is a very green industry, probably one of the greenest. Some of the, the reports say up to 70% of is mining renewable. is renewable. So hmm. if that provides a banking system to everyone in the world, it'll be way more efficient than uh, than what can be provided by um, the existing system, which isn't really scaling, isn't really reaching everyone. Hmm. That's a very interesting viewpoint because I've only ever heard negative 
narratives around the environmental impacts of mines. It's a simplistic argument. And the, the thing is, any new technology will not be used for a while until it's, it's adopted. You know, there's that adoption curve. So if you shut everything down on the basis that no one's using it, um, we wouldn't have email. We wouldn't have basically mm. anything. Um, yeah. um, okay, that, oh, hang on. Iran considers new system of annual registration for crypto miners. I suppose this is the same, mm. different article on the same thing. It is very interesting, more broadly looking at what you know central banks and governments are doing to try and control this space. Yeah. So they say one thing: mm-hmm. you can't do, you can't mine Bitcoin, and then they go, they go off and build there their own minds yeah. or you can't uh, you know do X on the blockchain and then they're launching their own sovereign blockchains well they're stocking they might be stocking Bitcoin I think there's a number of nations that are stockpiling Bitcoin the same way nations stockpile gold um, yep. so yeah the government response will be interesting to watch over the next while but I do think in my view they could slow it down but it's too late to stop it totally totally the bull is rolling that concludes the news you can lose or use. <laughs> hey guys, so as digital citizens, we are all exposed to the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media and the internet. Being a victim of cybercrime, cyberbullying, revenge, pornography, etc. can be devastating and scary. But, you know, it's not the full story. We do, in fact, have good news here. There's a company called Save T Net Cyber Safety. And they help victims for free by connecting you with the relevant experts such as forensic analysts, psychologists, and the right people at the police and legal advisors. This is a for-purpose company, and they also share the cyber safety message at schools, corporates, and everywhere they can. But they do need your help. So get involved. If you are an expert, join their network or let your CSI funding keep this engine going by empowering safety nets to reach more schools and affected people as possible. If you'd like the full story, check out my interview with Ria Net Leibovitz, the founder of SafeTNet, right here on the Matt Brown Show. And for more information, visit SaveTNet.com. So now we're moving on to part two of the show, Crypto Cats. Is that what the Crypto Kitties became? <laughs> That's the one. These are the actual sounds of the Crypto Kitties from the blockchain. Okay. This is the actual sounds. They grew up. Yeah, we sent someone to wherever they are and then <laughs> got them to uh, record a nice little meow for us. Cool. Did that do it for you? Yeah, yeah? I quite enjoyed it. I wondered what <laughs> happened to them. <laughs> so basically, this is where we keep up with the lions of the crypto world. So keeping up with the crypto cats, our guest in feature for this week, and I'd love your view on it, is this chap. Okay, contentious character. I know. <laughs> Who is he? Why is he contentious? Uh, this is Roger Ver. I think he uh, he's a very likable guy, um, in spite, in my view, of him supporting the, the wrong chain and potentially doing some things that I see as malicious to the overall Bitcoin ecosystem. But he's very idealistic. He's identified strongly as very libertarian. Um, and he was very instrumental in the early days of Bitcoin, um, one of the earliest promoters. He funded a lot of businesses. He was one of the first people in the U.S. to accept Bitcoin payments. Mm. Um, and I think he, because of his strong libertarian views, he, he uh, yeah, took a liking to Bitcoin. He later left the US. I think he was living in Japan when I last saw, but that might have changed. He basically exited the country. Um, he says he, it was like 
slave paying for their uh, freedom because you had to pay this massive tax bill to be given the right to leave America. What? Um, really? Yeah, when you exit the US, the, the way their tax laws work, it's quite draconian. Um, so, so yeah, he's uh, left, he exited, gave up his citizenship, basically paid for that. And he's he became a big proponent of the, the first main sort of contentious hard fork in Bitcoin, which is uh, was Bitcoin Cash. Yes. So he led that, and that was actually quite a quite a central thing to mining because, you know, no one really fully understands how Bitcoin works <laughs> in total. You know, it's just so complicated now, especially around the economics and game theory of it. So a lot of people thought that the miners could be the ones who chose what software was run and ultimately what the parameters on Bitcoin were. So there was this debate around scaling. Uh, you know, are we going to make the blocks bigger, put more transactions in them, or are we going to keep the blocks small and build solutions on top of that? Um, and he he liked the idea of increasing the block size. And there's a whole sort of technical debate around uh, which is better, and we may be going to that later. But uh, yeah, he he effectively was the leader alongside the guy who was the CEO of that the mining company that built that rig, Bitmain, a guy named mm. Jihan Wu. So the two of them went off. Ultimately, Bitcoin Core uh, sort of showed that nodes were the ones that that decide who runs what software. And so now we have Bitcoin, which Everyone calls Bitcoin the, mm. by far the most value in the network, by far the most hashing power and security. And then Bitcoin Cash, which is there. It is cheaper to transact on Bitcoin Cash, but that kind of leads to the question, what do you want Bitcoin to do? Do you want it to be cheap to transact or do you want it to hold its value? And I think at the moment, the important thing is it needs to survive. It needs to have a lot of security because there are people that want to close it down and it needs to be a store of value. Um, so I think uh, that. That's why Bitcoin has survived. The vast majority of, of volume and and money has gone into the original Bitcoin chain, although Roger would claim would claim that he's running the original Bitcoin chain, but consensus doesn't agree with him, I'm afraid. So so basically, you had the original Bitcoin, then they forked that to create Bcash or Bitcoin Cash, and yeah. they did they double the block size, right? It went from like one meg to two or two megs to four. Went up to something. four, yeah. yeah. One to four megabytes. What is the relevance of that? the size of the actual block? Uh, so that's the number of, of uh, transactions that it can take. Now, you attach fees when you make a transaction. And miners are going to process the transactions with the highest fees. So what we saw in the end of 2017 was that there was this huge influx of people into the, the Bitcoin, uh, into investing in Bitcoin. That meant they had to transact with it to get it off exchanges, buy it, move it, whatever. Um, and there was just a, a huge surplus of demand for for essentially space on the blockchain to hold these transactions. And so fees went up a lot. I mean, I think I remember sweeping a Bitcoin wallet and paying a thousand rand to do it, which is obscene, um, you know, if you compare it to, to what we pay now or what you maybe want to pay. But I think uh, the idea is that those fees actually go to paying for the security of the network. Um, and it's a bit like building a highway. So you could double the lanes. It just creates an incentive for more cars to be bought. And then you can double the lens again and you know ultimately you end up in the same problem. So you can make the block size four megabytes. Um, there are some technical issues where it means that it becomes increasingly expensive to run a node, it becomes less decentralized. Um, so I think the, the right call was to keep the block size where it was. Um, you don't want people to spam the network. You want uh, effectively for people to be uh, paying fees on the network so that there's an incentive to scale in a more uh, efficient way instead mm. of just doubling the block size every time. Um, so, But yeah, they doubled it because they wanted 
transaction throughput, right? Yeah, they want it to be cheaper. It's the same as widening a road. And it, it is for a while. And it is cheaper to transact on their network. But, uh, you, you know, you. it's interesting what Bitcoin has, what the market has wanted Bitcoin to be used for. And so help help our help our viewers and listeners understand something. When you put, let's just say, hypothetical situation, I want to buy a two-liter milk yeah. with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? That's going to cost, let's say, 20 rand or whatever. But the cost of the transaction to verify mm-hmm. that, that transaction and to secure that transaction, as you say, in the block on Bitcoin Core mm-hmm. would cost what today, roughly? Uh, so... If you want it to be confirmed very quickly, you could end up paying 10 rand or something for that, or really? maybe even more. So that was exactly the, the crux of the debate. As you, people often said, you can't buy your coffee with Bitcoin, and that's true. Um, but whether that was the most important thing for now, um, my view is that's not the most important thing. Um, and so what has effectively happened is the Bitcoin core movement that kept the block size where it was, uh, they... They proposed a scaling solution. One of them is called the Lightning Network, which is essentially a network that acts a little bit like Visa, where mm. it, uh, you know, you'll transact with Starbucks. Hundreds of people will transact with Starbucks a lot of times. And at the end of the week, you'll settle all of those transactions and you'll pay the 20 rand. Now, dividing that amongst the 10,000 cups of coffee means it's very, very cheap. You know, I can send one South African cent to anyone anywhere in the world um, effectively for free on the Lightning Network. You can't do that with with mm. any other on-chain uh, solution. So, I mean, the other side of it, I feel, is the reality is cryptocurrencies are volatile. No one's pricing anything in them for now. I think we're quite a few years away from that. And in order to get to the point where cryptocurrencies are used for pricing things, they have to be believed to be secure. They have to have a huge amount more volume, the way our national currencies have massive volumes, trillions. Um, and... You know, it doesn't take that much money to move the Bitcoin price by 5%. And so it will be very volatile. And it's, it is a speculative thing. It needs to be shown to be secure first. It needs to be shown to be a store of value that many people have, many people access. That's when we can start to think about the, the transactional properties of it more. Mm. So Roger here, our friend, mm-hmm. um, this was hilarious for me. This is his Wikipedia page. Roger Keith Ver is an early investor in Bitcoin, Bitcoin-related startups, um, blah, blah, blah. He has been known as, quote, Bitcoin Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> real, real evangelist. For his prominent support of Bitcoin adoption. That's hilarious. Oh, wait. And then born and raised in Silicon Valley. No one's clean in the space, dude. No, no. I've, I'm going to get to you in a sec. He sold explosives on eBay and later pleaded guilty to three related felony charges. He served 10 months in prison, then moved into, to Japan in 2005. <laughs> You're selling explosives on eBay. That's hilarious. I think uh, his version is that, that was he was selling fireworks, but uh, I don't even dug into the details. Yeah, Wikipedia, bro. If you try to set up a Wikipedia page, um, you know how hard it is. You yeah, need like a dozen it. sources. I actually saw a cool news story today. Uh, the early comments on the original Bitcoin Wikipedia page. And it's actually worth looking at the criticisms of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, people uh, popping on. And, and as you say, it's hard. they like this in 2010, even though it'd been around for a year, um, all the commentators were like, this project will never work. It's not going to go away. Let's just uh, delete this page now. There's no sources. There's only like 10 sources on the internet talking about Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, so. It's hilarious. So maybe you should let pages live, live for a while. I think so. I think so. So the risk, um, what is the single biggest risk from your perspective? to the world of crypto and blockchain today? So I think in, in terms of Bitcoin, um, 
the biggest risk is a quite a hostile view from from governments um, on the exchanges. I think that is the the riskiest part of, part of it because for for almost everyone, the way that they get cryptocurrency is via an on ramp, which is a fiat currency to cryptocurrency exchange. Mm. Um, and it's already being made quite difficult for them, and there's all kinds of new rules coming out. And uh, you know that is an avenue, but I think the global nature of it, um, you know, the, this is the same debate that happened with the internet in the '90s. Uh, and luckily for America, they benefited massively from this. They took a very positive view on it, and their economy benefited hugely, especially California and Silicon Valley. Uh, so I think that that for me is the biggest risk. I mean, there are some technical risks discussed. Uh, like what if the cryptography is broken with quantum computers? And I think there's a lot of, of arguments as to why that's not problematic. Mm. Um, so the biggest one, and I don't think it'll kill Bitcoin, but it could slow its adoption down massively is if it's hard for people to get. Mm. Um, hard to experience. If they start to outright ban it in places, um, I think in the States, an outright ban will not be possible because it's code and code is considered free speech and is protected under their amendments. It is very much a big risk. It is. It is, yeah. So we're going to get on to audience Q&A in a second. Um, is there anything more you feel our viewers and listeners will benefit from from understanding here about these two rigs? Um, or can you walk us through some of the technical nuances a bit more? Yeah, I think uh, if, if you are interested in getting involved in mining, the one thing I would say is uh, try and avoid cloud mining uh, services. They usually are quite scammy. There's a huge information asymmetry. The person setting up cloud mining, in other words, they build a massive mining farm somewhere and they sell you um, mining power. They know a lot more about the market cycles, the price of hardware, etc. Mm. Um, and they basically will price it so that you will never actually make money, even though the calculation looks good because the cycles are very quick. Most people in, inv in investing, they would uh, like to get, you know, a two-year payback sounds pretty good. In mining, when you sign up for a cloud mining site, it might say that you're going to get a six-month payback, but the reality is that the Bitcoin difficulty increases and increases so that it becomes a target that you mm. never actually reach. So that little bit of psychology is just, just watch out for that. I think if you want to get into it, build a little rig like this. It's just computer parts. You can pick them up secondhand quite cheap these days as well. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people bought in 2017 using that exact logic of a short payback that never materialized. Um, so try it out on a small GP rig like this. It's not too noisy. See how it goes. Learn about it, and then decide if you're you're interested. So Bitcoin mining clubs. Um, I know a few people are part of these clubs. Yes or no? Good or bad? I'm not even sure what's meant by a Bitcoin mining club. So basically, that? what it means is you are essentially pooling your funds, your money, mm -hmm. to invest in a share of the dividend from a crypto mine. So I would, as is digital Kung Fu, would give you, you know, 10,000 Rand okay. cash, and then we would get a dividend on that because that would cover, I assume, your, your electricity cost yeah. or operational cost. I think that, that does make a lot of sense because you get an economy of scale by being a bigger player. So you're going to be able to get better energy uh, deals. You're going to be able to get better discounts on hardware, etc. So it does make sense to pool your resources. I mean, in fact, the, the structure that we mine under is a, is a kind of fund. Um, it's a 12J fund, which, I mean, you might know about from the, the finance uh, yeah, world. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah, yeah. there's tax benefits. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I guess we do run a fund. So I think it's a pretty good idea to pool everyone's resources just to achieve those economies of scale. Yeah. Cool, brother. So we're going to do audience Q&A. So uh, we've got some emails in from mattbrownshow.com. 
Uh, this one uh, Kira has sent to me. Uh, this is actually specifically for for you because uh, evidently we know when they know when you're coming on, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this one is uh, since you're one of co-found one of the co-founders of Open Mint, I was wondering what the reception was like from people when you started South Africa's first Bitcoin mining fund. Did people think you were crazy? Well, it was. We met with a lot of fund managers who thought we were crazy, um, and we were fortunate to find a fund manager who who would uh, sort of take us on. So, um, yeah, it was really the fund managers. And, you know, I've gone to these fund um, expos, and to this day, they're all incredibly skeptical of crypto. They won't invest in software companies that do crypto. They won't, mm. they won't hold it themselves. Um, but I think where we'd like to position ourselves is um, it's actually quite a palatable investment for fund managers. So if a big fund manager pension, whatever mutual fund manager wants to portion one or three percent of their clients' funds into something that's exposed to cryptocurrency in the next bull run, let's say. Mm. This is a very palatable way to do it because they don't have to hold it themselves. Uh, they don't have to um, you know, worry about all the custodial problems. And it's actually a lot less risky than just buying the coins outright because they could drop 90%. But mining doesn't quite work like that. So your upsides and your downsides are mitigated with mining. Do you think that an investor has more downside or someone who wants to mine? Um, I think uh, probably an individual miner faces the... What do you mean of investing in yeah, cryptocurrency? Yeah, you know, like obviously coins. currency fluctuations is that mm. one side, but on the mining side, it, my sense is, just in my very limited knowledge, is that the miners are the ones are in, are there that are in the pound seats because their thing is quite simple. Well, can we crunch the... The hash fast enough and get rewarded for validating the transaction on the blockchain. That's very simple, as opposed to well, what's the underlying technology of the coin? Sure, yeah. What sentiment about? When is this thing going to come? You know, get the regulation. Blah 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? It's like it feels to me. Yep. You know, if you were to choose, I I personally would go. I would do both, but I mean, if I was forced into a coin to choose, yeah. I would uh, I would go mining because it's less risky. If you if you have the right setup and you have a low energy price, then it definitely makes more sense than uh, than going to speculate on on a portfolio of coins. Okay, mm. so uh, guys, keep these questions. Hang on, Siri, not for you. <laughs> Go away. Okay, here we are. Uh, so keep your questions coming in on mapbrownshow.com. This one's from Greg. He says, "Is crypto for every man?" And then I don't know what he means by that, but do I have to be particularly good at maths to get involved? <laughs> Loads of numbers, apparently. You definitely don't need to be very good at maths. Um, so I think everyone should have a little bit of exposure to cryptocurrency. And the reason is that it has the best upside to downside reward historically of pretty much any asset. Um, so as much as it is risky, um, it is it has an upside and is shown to have an upside that far outweighs that risk. Um, so I wouldn't recommend anyone goes and makes a big lump sum investment and we always have to offer the disclaimer, this is not investment advice. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I don't want you to get in trouble. Uh, so <laughs> It's not my show, it's your show. <laughs> so I, You're I the expert, bro. <laughs> <laughs> our, uh, our recommendation to anyone is to dollar cost average in or rand cost average in oh, if yeah. you're in South Africa. So set aside a small amount that you won't miss and every Sunday night or whatever, set a calendar reminder and buy 500 rand of Bitcoin. Um, you know, that takes the emotions out of it. Don't look at the price. Don't see if there's a dip to buy or if you think it's too high. Just buy that 500 Rand every, and if you can automate it, in fact, we're trying to work on a product that automates that mm. at the moment um, because it's the advice we always offer. I mean, that does two things. Firstly, um, 
you know, if you had started dollar cost averaging at the peak, 2017 peak, when it was pushing $20,000, you'd actually be up, I think, I can't remember what it was, but something like 60 or 70% now. So if every week you bought $100 from $18,000, right now you'd be up massively on that portfolio. Whereas if you put a lump sum in, then you'd be down probably 40% or whatever it is, Mm. or 50% almost. So that's the first thing. The second thing is humans are really bad at timing markets. Um, I think the Bitcoin price has only been higher than it is today for 2.5% of Bitcoin's history. And yet most of the people I know somehow managed to buy in that 2.5% of time of its history. So, you know, if you're dollar cost averaging in, it takes that out. And it also means that you aren't really aware of how much you put in. If you put in 100,000 Rand and it drops 10% in a week, which can happen with a volatile thing like, like crypto, people tend to panic sell. Whereas if you've put in, um, you know, a thousand rand for a hundred weeks, you don't really recall how much you put in and it's, it's much more likely your portfolio is going to be up. Speaking of uh, trading, let's do trading the market. So uh, Warren, this is where you get to spend our hard earned crypto cash mm-hmm. uh, on crypto. <laughs> uh, so basically what you've got is a thousand, what is it? A thousand one hundred Okay, let's call it eleven hundred odd dollars. Cool. What are we doing? What's your trade? What's the horizon? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, uh, Turnbase, uh, when was it? Like three or four days ago, um, asked us to short Bitcoin for a thousand dollars. He put it all on the line, um, and then Ricardo gave us uh, a kind of a hold Bitcoin nine hundred and spend the other hundred on other two alts. If you want to, I would suggest we're going to run this show for for quite some time, I believe. Um, but uh, why don't we say seven days? That's a that's a very short horizon. Oh, no. <laughs> we're trading, bro. Yeah. Um, look, I would, if you had said two years, I would say all Bitcoin. Um, and the longer the horizon, yeah, the more bullish I'm on Bitcoin. Um, but we, you know, at the moment, the Bitcoin dominance is pretty high. Uh, sitting around 70%. Um, although most of the trading on uh, on altcoins is probably wash trading. So the dominance in Bitcoin is probably closer to 90%. Um, but that cycle, I think, could reverse um, in, in the short term. And we did see quite a big alt run recently. And my feeling is that the whales who uh, influence this market massively, they would really like a bit of an alt rally or an alt season. And I think that pump we saw recently was, was spurred purely by a few coordinated whales moving money from Bitcoin into mm. into altcoins. And if that is the case, then alts will will um, will pump. In seven days, I think it's going to be the likes of things like Ethereum. Mm. Um, I mean, even an outside perspective might be Ripple. No. A lot of people, I, I don't like Ripple. I'm not spending money on Ripple. It's a good, good man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, in seven days... I know, but <laughs> definitely, but Ripple never like blood in the streets. Just never going to happen. Everyone hates Ripple. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, set to, I'm just voicing the other experts here. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'd agree with that. It's a bank thing. It's a means of exchange. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's you know what I mean. So, what are we doing? Are we buying holding? What are we doing? Buy Bitcoin. Are uh, we buying Ethereum? What are we doing? Got a thousand dollars. Well, to outperform the others, I suppose I need to take a big position on something. <laughs> Go um, on, get in there, son. Um, Don't be shy. Maybe uh, EOS. Wow, dude! Now, buy now. EOS, how much? Um, thirty percent. What the hell? Buy now. Buy now. Buy now. You know that that currency's just tanked like this week. 
that old. That's exactly why I want to buy it. Oh, <laughs> this man's a, oh, he's a shrewd cat, this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Stella's come off quite a run, but I believe it dipped quite a bit in the last day or so because of this massive pump, mm. um, which tells me whales might want to pump it some more. Um, the 30% on EOS. Okay, let's go, let's go 30% Ethereum. 30% Ethereum. Yeah. I'm probably going to end up with terrible results, which is just going to prove the point why you shouldn't day trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bitcoin's unlikely to move much. Ethereum. Buy now. Yeah, Buy some, now. Get us some ETH. Um, and let's go with some, uh, a bit of a left field one. There's a coin called Grin. Grin. Which I, I really like. Um, I think it's the closest thing to another Bitcoin, just because no one knows who uh, invented it. So it was all anonymous. Um, it's kind of a similar methodology to Bitcoin in terms of its design with one exception is that the block rewards are not halved. So in mm. Bitcoin, the supply goes less and less every four years or so. With Grin, there's a constant inflation. Um, and I've seen it have a few um, pumps out of nowhere. And I think if there's if there's another alt season, I think Grin could be a coin that people flock to the same way people flock to Hashgraph technology mm. as something that was going to scale better than Bitcoin, but ultimately probably was the worst thing to buy <laughs> in 2017. Well, I'm getting excited. Hit that buy button. Now. Buy now. Buy now. How much do you? 30%, he said. Or the balance, basically. So, yeah. Yeah, it'd be 40. Do, do the balance there. Warren Gray, dude, thanks for being on the show, bro. Uh, great to actually see what these uh, units are all about and to get uh, the insights all about Bitcoin mining. It's been a, a great chat. Thanks so much, dude. I really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks to Thanks for having me on the show. Cheers, brother. Cool. This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by NetworkSpace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at NetworkSpace up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about NetworkSpace, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right Right here at NetworkSpace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.